Welcome to the Influential Nonprofit, the show for nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact. Now, here's your host, Marianne Dersh. This is Marianne Dersh, and welcome to the Influential Nonprofit. I work with nonprofits to build their influence so they can increase their income and impact. And today, my guest is Barb Griffiths, the president and CEO of Community Living. And one of my favorite people, which is why I wanted her to be a guest on this show. Community Living is in St. Charles County, and they work with people with disabilities so they can achieve their highest potential through a lot of different activities so they can live, learn, work, and play in the community. And Barb joined the organization in 86 and in 1988 was named executive director and in 2005 became president and CEO. And so I'm going to have Barb on the show because I really love community living and what they do. And I'm going to tell a little story, Barb. So first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks. And I want to say, I remember many years, like, oh, I guess it was 2013. We worked together and I did a, what I call a discovery session for your staff. And I had not seen so many people. I've done these dozens and dozens of times in different organizations and there are people laughing, crying. I just had never, I mean, and this is honest. I've never been in a room that had so much love and warmth for the work they did and the people they served. And so I, first, I want to compliment you on that. And I want to ask you, you know, you've been in the role a really long time and a lot of your staff has too. And I feel like that may be an anomaly in the nonprofit space and especially in the field that you're in. So I would love for you to share a little bit about your longevity and your team's longevity, like how you keep that consistent over the years. Okay, well, I think it's it comes from having a passion for the mission. And I didn't ever aspire to be in this field, but it chose me. And I think when you have that passion for for the mission and the passion for what you're doing, that keeps you at it and keeps you going. There's always new things to learn. There's a giant challenges to to tackle. So it's never boring. It's never the same twice. It's not as if I felt like I needed to spread my wings and learn more because I could do it right where I was, right in this field. There is so much to learn. There's so much. The people that I have, a lot of the leadership team that's working here has also been here a long, long time. And I think it's the same thing for them. A passion for the mission, a passion for the people and the community in which we are serving and working. And I'm talking about community living, the people that the families and the individuals with disabilities that we serve and watching them grow and change and grow up and achieve, um, talk about achieving highest potential, continuously achieving. It doesn't get old, it doesn't get boring. It gets hard, Right. (laughs) it's been hard. And I think, you know, it's either in you or it's not. Yeah. There are people who leave very quickly. Other people who have 
um, moved on, but continued in the field because of the opportunities that they were afforded. Uh, one of the things that's a, a blessing and a curse to have people stay in their roles for a long time is then other people as they become new to the organization and want to move up, there's not always unlimited opportunity for that. So one of the things that I think is also great is we have a good coalition of other service providers in the area. And so someone may start with us and move to another organization similar to what we do and continue to grow and thrive there Yeah, and vice versa. And, and so when you said I happened into this field in 1978, when a friend offered me a job and an institution for people with developmental disabilities. So what do you feel like is the biggest changes that you've seen since when you started and, and to now? Oh my gosh, night and day. The reason I got involved in this is because when I was working in 1978, that was the kind of a revolutionary time in this field where it was the deinstitutionalization movement and downsizing from giant wards of, you know, 50 people down to smaller cottages of 16. <laughs> and the intimate setting of campus, 16, yeah. Huh? Right. And still in a campus setting. Very similar to Bell Fountain here in, in the St. Louis area, Bell Fountain Habilitation Center. It was a this was another place in another state. But what drew me to, first of all, the individuals that I met that I worked with taught me so much about life, about me, about counting my blessings, but just how much they had to offer for in life. And I was appalled at some at the treatment and the way that they were being treated by many, many people. It was just kind of like not respectful, no choices, just not good. And I've seen the, the whole uh, field evolve over time. I'm old enough that I've really been able to see a lot of change. Individuals now are definitely individuals. They have choices. Everyone has abilities. It's an ability-focused field now versus disability. Mm -hmm. We use people-first language versus labeling people. That we're not pigeonholing individuals and saying, okay, this person might have cerebral palsy and that means ABC. It the sky's the limit. We are all individuals. And I think that's the biggest change. That people are people and individuals with or without disabilities of all abilities are being embraced and treated more respectfully and able to contribute. And that's self-fulfilling for so many people, all of us. So it probably contributes so much to your longevity. I think there's maybe a lot of nonprofit like industries that have not seen a lot of change, you know? And so it, it, you know, that may contribute to the longevity and and the continued passion and growth is to be a part of witnessing the evolution, you know, of, of this, of like, I want to say this industry, but you know, of this type of work so that to be more respectful. I mean, I have kids with disabilities and I couldn't imagine them living in, you know, a ward of 50 or 16 people or, or anything like that. 
So I want to kind of bring it back to the present a little bit. What do you feel like is some of the like biggest accomplishments that you've had over the last few years? Personally or the organization? Well, why don't we start with you? <laughs> I'm still in my job. <laughs> <laughs> I think, okay, because I've been in this in this role a long time, it's very difficult. And I'm sure you can relate. And a lot of nonprofit execs are going to relate to this. You and the job become one. It is just becoming part of your life. I am in this, I am community living 24-7. And it's a choice and I love it and it keeps me going. And my family is very understanding. I mean, it's a it's a big community. So I think for personally, the biggest accomplishments are the fact that our organization is still afloat, that we are continuing to be innovative and doing new things or um, trying new things. When I took this job, we were in financial hardship, if you will. And it's an art and a science to, to keep an organization, a nonprofit organization going because it's a business and it's also got a lot of heart. Mm -hmm. So there's hard decisions to be made. And I think the fact that we are in a, an awesome position right now, very stable, and we are that way so that we can continue to do our mission. It's not to enrich any, it's not like we are enriching shareholders. It is plowing that money in to keep, keep us afloat and uh, continue to do what we do. I think another uh, great accomplishment, and again, I can't take any personal... I don't want nothing, nothing I'm talking about is only me. It is a village. It is working within the, the organization and the community at large, the networking that I've established is um, that we have a great reputation now in the community. We went through a merger so that we now provide a whole continuum of services for families that helps families navigate their lives. It's it's difficult. I do not have a child with a disability, but I know that from hearing all the stories, it's very difficult. It's hard enough to navigate just with right kids with typically with, yeah. with just yourself, mm -hmm. but to have that added uh, responsibility and um, some challenges, I think, is really hard. So to keep that going and to keep the organization fresh. I think that that's a good accomplishment. One of the things when I was named in this position, one of the first things I was charged to do was to make sure that everyone, that at least half of everyone in St. Charles County knew about our organization because at, in 1998, they did not. And I had no idea how to do that. And so I just started going places and doing things. Yeah. And, and I would say that I maybe not half, but I think we've got a pretty, you know, at least people know who community living is right. and what, what we're doing. And as far as accomplishments, 
personally too, I think taking that leap and I would, I would suggest this, and I have suggested this to young people who are getting into any field. Don't be afraid to take a leap, to just take a leap of faith. If I would have known or studied up what was ahead of me when I decided, when I was offered the job and took it, I never would have taken it. <laughs> it I would have said, no way, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. But I said, yes. And then you jump in and then you just do it. Yeah. And so I'm pretty proud of that, that I, you know, it was, we're still here. It was kind of a sinking ship and um, here we are. Yeah. So you took over the sinking ship. Is that what you're saying? It, It was kind of a sinking ship. Yeah. And then, and then you also went through a merger and that was what, 20. 10, is that correct? 2010. So tell me, tell what that experience was like. And uh, no mergers are always such tricky things to happen. And a lot of organizations just there, there can be, I mean, I've worked with organizations going through mergers and it's always so painful. Uh, You know, the, the, the combining of families almost, and then, and the, and the struggle to retain the culture on both sides and, you know, and being patient and waiting for like this new culture to emerge, you know, that new identity, the new evolution. And that can be that, that transition can be really painful. So I just would love to know a little more about, you know, your experience with the merger and how you guided the organization through that. We were very lucky. It was very intentional and it needs to be very intentional. We were approached It wasn't our idea, but we were approached by the other organization, Family Support Services, to take them on because they were a sinking ship, if you will. I don't think they could have sustained uh, what they were doing without the infrastructure. They need, you know, you get a, in this day and age, it's almost like you need to have a bigger footprint in order to to, uh, have enough infrastructure to to, uh, sustain. But it was a, a really good fit because it was just a continuum. They had services for kids. We had services for adults. We could meet in the middle. It would, the transition is something that is, has always been a sticky thing for families. And if they could all just transition straight through us and we could work collaboratively. The transition from like child uh, like teen services into adult services. Right. Okay. Child to teen, teen to adult. It's a whole new funding stream. It's all new rules. It's, it's daunting. And um, so we thought that that would be a really great fit. We had, we dated, if you will, for a long time. I think they hired us to do back office for them as a contract so that we could kind of get to know each other and get to know what they got to know us. We got to know them. I went to a lot, all of their board meetings, my board and their board committees got together and talked and hashed things out. And, and most importantly, we hired an outside consultant to help with due diligence because that is extremely important and neither one, the, the other organization or us, 
had the time or expertise to really make that happen. The other good thing that that uh, was just a little gift with this is they had just lost their executive director. So there was no who's going to take over, you know, that kind of thing. The other thing that we were very lucky about, and you can relate to this, Marianne, I said, I will not change our name. I will not change our logo. I, you know, they're going to have to come under us. I don't want to have a rebrand or a co-brand or because I love our logo and I love, and you helped us get that <laughs> reestablished and on that brand. But um, I just said that was really important and they were fine with that. Right. So it was a win. It was definitely a win-win. I have recently been going through some training and just learning opportunities regarding collaborations and strategic alliances and mergers. And I, I think we'll see a lot more of that in with this economy. And like I said, if your footprint isn't really pretty giant, it's going to be very hard to do business. Yeah. I see that too. I, I, I feel like a lot of nonprofits start in response to you know, somebody getting really upset about a situation and, and wanting to relieve that trauma for others, you know, and, and, and then not really realizing that there are so many organizations that I, I just feel like the, the instinct is, Hey, let's start something new instead of let's see what else is out there and how maybe I could approach someone to grow, help them grow their programming. And then we have a lot of organizations working in the same thing with like, should the narrow footprint. And, and I do feel like this next wave, like the, the last wave was like the 2008, you know, the, the economy, we had a lot of mergers and a lot of organizations that just, you know, went away. And I do feel like that's that next wave is, is coming. And I love what you said about the, um, the, the consultant, because it is that, that neutral third party kind of helping people through, you know, the, the dating relationship, right. You dated, then you got a little exclusive, you know, um, right. you know, shared your finances and that, you know, and then you came together and, and, and I also like, I hear of you about your brand and about owning the name. And, you know, that was just a, that was a, a boundary that you set. That was something that you really wanted. And, you know, hearing your story, you spent many, many years, like getting that name well-known in the community and to change that feel like, you know, and it and it fits you and, and it and it works for you. So there's no no reason to change it or do anything crazy tricky like co-branding, which it hardly ever really works. And in that, I want to just talk a little bit more about your relationship in the community and especially during the COVID. I know the big gala, of course, everyone big galas went virtual. All you know, there's so many changes. And do you feel like your your focus on really building relationships in the community paid off during the last year of COVID and the, the adjustment in fundraising and things like that. I cannot say enough about maintaining building and maintaining relationships in the community at all levels. As you know, if we, it's, that is how you get business done. And maybe it's exclusive to St. Charles County, but I don't think so. That is how you get business done. So when uh, the new, the paycheck protection loan information came out, 
we have a you know a good we have good relationships with lots of banks but you know uh one guy said here's what it is this was before anybody really knew i'll shepherd you through it got us through it it was you know it was a godsend but that was because and you heard nightmares about yeah just go to a website and fill out the form and you know all of that and it's having that relationship that personal relationship that helped us get through that having those relationships with chambers of commerce business people and it's when i say relationship i truly mean two way how can we help them how can they help us and i think one of the things that i have tried to do in building those relationships first of all it was so out of my comfort level that just when i first started just go out and hey here i am here who but you just you know you put yourself out there and you do you it you just do it i yeah. mean you just get out there there's really nothing else to do but step out and do it just start meeting people right and then it's like if you're genuine and you do what you say you're going to do suddenly you've just got a lot of really cool relationships and it's wonderful but it's so important that it is definitely a win-win two-way and not only with businesses and families i mean also other organizations competitors if you will other organizations that do what we do the reason that we have been able to be successful i think is because we have great relationships with other organizations that do what we do so we can collaborate we all want the same thing we all want a better community and as long as we all have that at heart i think sharing sharing uh policies sharing ideas sharing oh here's some new information sharing funding sources all of that is really important and i'm all i'm a big karma person and i think it comes back right yeah no i i am too i mean in in you know when i work with the organization on influence it's this the influential nonprofit the way you're of influence to others is to be a value to them right so when you're a value to others it your needs will be met it will come back to you and i feel like that's like one of the reasons why we get along so well so we both have this energetic of when i'm coming contribution i know my needs will be met you know and and in in the in in your name and community living creating that community you know and just living that ideal you know of this is a community not just in the people we serve and our staff and but in the community that we work in and that give and take and that's, I think that's just so important. I know, like, I remember when the PPP loans came down and some organizations didn't even, didn't even have a bank or a banker that they could reach out to. Right. And I think it became really apparent, you know, when in those, that those relationships weren't, you know, weren't as strong or just weren't, wasn't in their, it wasn't their emphasis. Mm -hmm. So, all right. I want to switch a little bit and just kind of talk about some of the challenges that you're facing now, and I mean, obviously we're all in the COVID struggle, <laughs> right? Like that, like, and so we can talk a little bit about, a little bit about that. And this is also just the challenges that you see, you know, coming forward. We talked a lot about the advances within the industry, with, within the work that you do. What are some of the challenges that you see in the future? The biggest challenge, and 
you know, it has been a challenge for a long time is the fact that we, our services are very person to person and our industry, the way it is funded, and I can't even get into how many different funding sources we have and the matrix and <laughs> trying to keep it all together, but the big chunk of our funding is state federal funding. And so they dictate what we can pay our employees. We, a business out there can raise the cost of their goods or services to keep up with the marketplace so they can get employees. We cannot, the cost of our services goes up, but the reimbursement that we get to provide those services has not gone up in accordance. Wow. And so that's our biggest challenge. We're very reliant on, on someone else telling us, here's how you, here's how much money we're going to pay you to do this service. And here's all the rules you have to follow to do the service. And we can't find employees to do that. And plus it's a, it's a job that not everybody is going to want. You got to have that passion in there Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and have integrity and all of that. And then say, yeah, I'm going to work for not very much (laughs) money. It's that's a, it's a huge struggle and it could, it could take us down. It could, it's always been a struggle, but these days as the economy is just really topsy turvy minimum wage, they're talking about going way up and and all of that. If something doesn't happen, our industry, and we've always sucked it up and made do. And that has hurt us. Right. Because because if we said, sorry, we're all closing our doors, then something would be done. Exactly. Exactly. But the way that we are, all of us, not just community living, it's our industry, we suck it up and make do. And, um, but there, you know, we're at a, we're at a tipping point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big, big challenge in the future. There are good things that are coming. And I think the technology has been a huge thing for people with disabilities. The has been helpful. And what can people become more independent with using that technology. So they don't need a person right there. They can turn the lights off and on and do so many things using technology. They can zoom in with friends, even though they may not have that transportation to meet them. There, you know, there are, there's a lot going on with that, but it's having enough people to do, to provide the services that need to be provided. And the services is really individualized. Very, and and very much you so. can't, it's hard to scale the one-on-one individualized service, right? Like, like, and, and because then you're going to be almost stepping backwards, right? So now we're, you know, instead of seeing people as individuals in their individual capacity, now we're back to like the 16 at one time kind of. Yeah, model. exactly. One person want everybody sit around the outside of the room and sit down and I'll just keep my eye on you. I mean, that's right. And that's not what right. anyone. Wants. And that, and that, you know, put your head down, you know, and get through it attitude uh, that, you know, now we're seeing the other side of that to where this is not, this is not sustainable. So like w- what's happening now is not sustainable how it is. And so a new model will emerge 
you know, it always does. And I'm sure it will there, but the transition into that, you know, it's going to prep what you're saying is like, Hey, we're not going to be able to do this anymore. It's just, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be painful. Yeah. We we do a lot of legislative um, education, you know, that's really all we can do. And, and I'm, and the legislators are hit from every side. Everybody needs money. Everybody wants money. Nobody wants more taxes. So everybody fighting for, for those dollars, but it, yeah, it, it's a, that is definitely very, very near and it's going to be a crucial tipping point in this, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the coming years. And I'm sure there's other industries in the nonprofit sector that are probably facing some of the same critical tipping points, you know, in how they, how they operate. Mm -hmm. So we're getting ready to wrap up. And my last question or second to last question really is around what other wisdom would you love to share with nonprofit executive directors and CEOs I think, you know, we've talked about this before, Barb, you told me once, like I should have an executive directors anonymous, right? Cause it's such, it's a lonely job, you can't complain to your board. You can't complain to your staff, your partners try tired of hearing about it. And I, I, I do feel like in the nonprofit sector, it gets a little isolating. And part of what I want the podcast to do, what this podcast is to do is to allow for that connection and community and to hear other stories. And I would just love for you to share a little bit about you know, what, what wisdom you would give to other people in your role who are listening to this? I would definitely say, don't isolate yourself. Reach out and look around and share, share your struggles, share, be real, share your struggles, share, try to, try to get some colleagues that you can bounce things off of. One of the things that I've learned is I've gotten wiser, if you will, in my years, I was always thinking I've got, oh, I can't look like I'm vulnerable or that I've made mistakes or that I don't know. But you know what? I don't know. I am vulnerable and I've made a whole lot of mistakes. That's mostly how I've learned a whole lot is from making mistakes owning up to those, asking for help, saying, I don't know, but I will, you know, I'd love to work with someone. Just being real, I think everybody's in the same boat. I think all the other, the CEOs, other execs that I've talked with have been like, yeah, that same thing, or I feel that way. So, you know, get pride out of the way. We're all human and um, know that, you know, you don't know all the answers. And the other thing is start grooming other people. (laughs) Yes. You know, I am one that's like, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. You've got to let other people dive in like I was given Mm -hmm. the chance to dive in not knowing what I was getting into and muck through it, muddle through, learn by doing. And anyone that's on this podcast or that has, you know, has some years offer that as a, as a mentoring or something to just let new people, new blood come up in the system. 
it's a hard job. Now, I'm not saying it's harder than, you know, Emerson, <laughs> CEO job. Right, I'm sure right. That's totally different. Yes. But it's, it, it is, it's a noble job. It's a hard job. And we're better together. And we can always continuously learn, continuously learn. Yeah. And I love what you said about being vulnerable. You know, that's actually a great quality of leadership. You know, as good leaders create more leaders and, and being open to like, I don't have all the answers, nor should you, and no one does. And, and it's okay. And it's okay to let other people dive in and try to find their answers. And, and that's what, that's what creates the, the, the team, right. And the, and the cohesiveness that you're experiencing. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up and I have one final question. So everyone, this is a question that my coach, Michelle Villalobos, I'm giving her credit for this. This is her last question of her podcast. And I asked her if I could use this because it's perfectly suited to me. And everybody who knows me knows I love three things, Diet Coke, high heels, and karaoke. So I won't ask you about Diet Coke or high heels, but I will say if we, Barb, and I, you know, when, when, when I can sing karaoke and you and I are going to go out, what is your go-to karaoke song that you sing? <laughs> what, what is that? Wow. I don't know if I have a go-to. I guess I would just say, um, I don't know. I don't even know what the name of it is. It's that journey song. Don't stop believing. Yes. <laughs> I love it. It suits you very well too. <laughs> don't stop believing Barb. That's right. All right. I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Barb, for being here. And Barb Griffith with Community Living Inc. in St. Charles County, Missouri. We will have the website in the show notes. And don't forget to go to the influentialnonprofit.com and you can download your uplevel your influence starter kit and learn all about how to grow your influence so you can grow your income and your impact. Thanks again, Barb, for being here. Thanks, Marianne. This was fun. Thanks for listening to the Influential Nonprofit with your host, Marianne Dirsch. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Also, check out the influentialnonprofit.com for more resources on growing your influence so you can raise more and do more.